In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sira Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Inshallah continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Asiratul Nabawiyah, the prophetic biography Excuse me, just had to get the microphone on So inshallah as I was saying Continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet Nabawiya, the prophetic biography. In the last few sessions, um, we've been discussing the Ghazwatul Ahzab, also known as Ghazwatul Khandaq, the battle of the trench or the battle against the allied armies. And in the previous session, we concluded our discussion overall of the battle and then of the incident that occurred immediately following it, which is known as the incident or the situation involving Banu Quraida, the tribe of Banu Quraida. What we're going to talk about today is two things. Two things that we're going to talk about today, inshallah, and focus on. The first is kind of a supplementary discussion to the Battle of the Trench um, and also the incident of Banu Quraida, and that is the passing of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then the second thing that we will do is, as I had alluded to earlier at the beginning of our discussion about the Battle of the Trench, is that the Battle of the Trench, much like the Battle of Badr, we also have the Battle of Uhud, there are significant uh, sections of the Quran that are addressing that particular situation and what transpired and what occurred at that time. So similarly, like we talked about Surah Al-Anfal, when discussing the battle of uh, Badr, we discussed Surah Al-Hashar, we went through the Surah itself when we were discussing the situation of Banu Nadir. When discussing the battle of the trench and afterwards the battle of Banu Quraida, we uh, the passage of the Quran that is relevant to those particular incidents um, is a section from the beginning of surah number 33, suratul ahzab. And you can see the connection in the name of the surah. That suratul ahzab, the surah about the allied armies that attacked the city of Medina. So the surah is named after the surah addressing in the beginning very uh, eloquently, very powerfully, very conclusively addressing that situation. So inshallah at the conclusion, what I like to do here in our study of the seerah of the Prophet وسلم, is of course incorporate you know, ayats and surahs, different sections of the Quran that are relevant to those particular incidents 
students, but when it comes to extended passages addressing major events from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, what my preference is to actually go through the entirety of the event, study the event in detail, and that gives us a very good understanding of the history, the context, the situation, and then we will go through the actual verses, the ayat, and you'll be able to see how beautifully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has addressed that entire scenario within the Quran, within the book of Allah itself. So that will be the second thing that we'll study and we'll kind of conclude our discussion about this major event from the fifth year of Hijrah, the fifth year of the Prophet's residence in Medina, Ghazwatul Khandaq, also known as Ghazwatul Ahzab. But what we're going to talk about here first is something that was a consequence and a result of this entire situation, and that was the passing of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu is one of the foremost companions of the Prophet ﷺ. A little bit of brief history about him, and we've actually talked about him uh, previously in our study of the seerah as well, that when the Prophet ﷺ migrated, when he performed the hijrah and he arrived in the city of Medina, Prior to the Prophet ﷺ coming to the city of Medina, there was a group of Muslims who had come to Mecca, they had accepted Islam in the season of Hajj, and they had gone back, and they had requested the Prophet ﷺ to send with them a, you know, some teachers and some preachers to help continue to spread the message of Islam, and also teach Islam to the people who had already accepted the religion. So in that particular situation, the Prophet ﷺ had sent two people, Musa bin Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the young, very dynamic preacher and student of the Prophet ﷺ, a sahabi, a companion of the Prophet. And the second individual that he had sent was Abdullah ibn Ummi Maktoum, and more elder companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who was also later on, would be one of the mu'addins, which means one of the individuals who would make the call to prayer. And he also was blind, he was a little bit elder, a little bit senior. And so the Prophet ﷺ had sent these two individuals to go and help the spread in these, uh, of Islam and the establishment of a community in the this small town, Yathrib, that would eventually become the blessed city of Medina. So there's a particular incident that we talked about at that particular time where when they, when Musa bin Umayr was going and preaching and people were coming in droves and they were accepting Islam and listening to him and interacting with him, that uh, one of the leaders of the community in that area, whose name was Sa'ad, uh, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu and another leader by the name of Usaid bin Hudayr they were a little initially perturbed they said you know who is this person who's coming and you know causing people to accept a different religion and changing things in our city and they went and they confronted him and along with his host, who was another leader of that Medinan community, Asad bin Zurara, they confronted them and they said, you know, we don't think this is right. And so Musa bin Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu very calmly and intelligently, you know, presented, uh, a, he made a proposal. And the proposal was that why don't you please have a seat, sit with us, listen to the message that I have to share. If you like it, you can accept it. And we'll go forward from there. And if you do not like it, if you are upset by it, then we, then I will leave you alone. And then we'll, we'll settle this situation. So Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu sat down with him and some of the people that were present there said that before the conversation was over, we from his face could already tell that he had basically come over to Islam. 
He had been convinced. And as soon as Sa'ad bin, uh, bin Umair was done preaching to him, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad said, how does somebody enter this religion? And he explained to him about the process of accepting Islam, and he accepted Islam then and there, and he went back to his entire tribe, gathered and collected them all together and said, what is my position amongst you? And they said, you're a leader. You're one of our most intelligent, sophisticated, you know, uh, mature individuals. And we trust you, we follow you. So he said, well, if that's the case, that then I have accepted Islam, this is the message, and I will not speak to anyone unless they have also accepted this message. And he presented the message and the entirety of the tribe, minus an individual, basically accepted Islam and in the narration says even that one individual a couple of years later, a few years later would end up accepting Islam. So Sa'ad bin Mu'ad was that type of a confident, devoted and dedicated leader. And he was, he himself accepted Islam after hearing the Qur'an and the message of Islam and he convinced the entirety of his tribe to accept Islam as well. It doesn't only stop there, but Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was the very vocal leader of the Medinan Muslims at the time of the Battle of Badr. This is also another place where we mentioned him and we talked about him. That when the Prophet ﷺ asked them, because the Medinan Muslims by agreement were not obligated to go and participate in the Battle of Badr. And he asked them, what do you think about joining us in the Battle of Badr? What is your opinion on this situation? And Sa'ad bin Mu'ad, he stood up and he said, O Messenger of God, we would follow you to the ends of the earth. And even if you went beyond the ends of the earth, we would go there with you. We have believed in you, we have followed you, and we are with you till the very end. And he spoke with such conviction and loyalty and dedication. The Prophet ﷺ was so overjoyed, so happy at his response. And Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was that type of an inspirational, devoted, dedicated follower of the Prophet ﷺ and leader of his people in following the Prophet ﷺ and following the religion of Islam. So Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was an amazing person. And as we read about, and I'll kind of reiterate here, in the Battle of the Trench, in Ghazwatul Ahzab, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, there was an individual, Hibban ibn al-Ariqa, who was from the side of uh, the, the army that had come to attack the Muslims. He had launched an arrow across the trench and that ended up striking Sa'ad bin Mu'adh in a way where it nicked, you know, it injured, it caused a very serious wound and it ended up injuring and, you know, causing a, a bleed from one of his arteries. And he was bleeding out excessively. The Prophet ﷺ himself tended to him and basically tried to cauterize the wound and stop the bleeding. And it had stopped for some time, but as he had become infected and he was still very, very sick and very ill, the Prophet ﷺ had a tent established, placed in the masjid for him and appointed people to look after him and take care of him around the clock. And for a couple of more weeks, while the battle of the trench persisted, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was still recovering from you know his injury and his wounds and especially when the Banu Quraydha you know had stabbed the Muslims in the back and violated the constitution and basically presented a huge danger to the Muslims from behind you know their own ranks Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu had made dua to Allah that oh Allah do not allow me to leave this world until the situation of Ahzab and the situation of Banu Quraydha has been resolved so he specifically made dua to Allah that oh Allah allow me enough life to see an end to this entire very tragic situation. 
And so we discussed previously that ultimately it did come down to that, that there are two narrations as we talked about. One narration says that the Banu Quraidah eventually surrendered to the Prophet and one narration says they specifically stipulated that we will surrender if Sa'ad bin Mu'adh will be allowed to be the judge in our situation. And he offered the judgment as we discussed previously and that was carried out and the Prophet expressed to him that that was what you decided, what you um, concluded was exactly the decree and the decision of God from above the seven heavens. And so this was the the situation that Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was involved in and it basically mentions the, the books of Sirah, some of the historians like Ibn Ishaq and Ibn Kathir and others, they say that the Ahzab, the allied armies had arrived outside Medina in the month of Shawwal in the fifth year of Hijrah, in the month of Shawwal which is the 10th month of the Islamic calendar or the lunar calendar, right? And they stayed there for about 25 days, nearly a month. So they ended up leaving towards the middle of the middle or, or rather, excuse me, towards the end uh, or excuse me, sorry, towards the middle of the month of Dhul-Qa'dah. They left in the middle of the month of Dhul-Qa'dah. After that, the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims laid siege to Banu Quraidah, which also lasted for about 20 days. Alright, so that siege finally ended and concluded in the month of Dhul Hijjah. And that's when Sa'ad bin Mu'ad was able to make that decision and offer that conclusion. And it said that shortly thereafter, some mentioned even the next day or a day or two later, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad, he passed away. Alright, so he passed away in the month of Dhul Hijjah in the fifth year of Hijrah. Alright, so at the end of the fifth year of the Prophet Sallallahu residence in the city of Medina, that Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, after they offered the judgment, we talked about how when he came, the Prophet showed him honor and respect and told people to take care of him. And after he had offered the decision and conclusion, the Prophet Sallallahu requested the Muslims to take him back to the tents to be able to rest and again continue to recover. Very unfortunately and tragically, in accordance with the dua, the supplication that he had made, that when they laid him down again to rest and recover within that tent, the wound um, basically opened up again and he started to bleed very profusely and he did not stop bleeding until he passed away. When Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away, something very, very interesting that some of the books of narration, some of the books of seerah and the books of hadith mention, and I'll share Sa'ad bin Mu'adh's virtue. So I'll share some of the narrations about his virtue. Ibn Ishaq mentions that Anna Jibreel ata Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hina qubida Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh min jawfi layl that Jibreel alayhi salam, the angel Gabriel comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in the middle of the night when Sa'ad bin Mu'adh had just passed away. He had just breathed his last. And Jibreel alayhi salam comes to the Prophet and he says, Ya Muhammad, Man hadha al-mayyit al-ladhi futihat lahu abu samai wa hatazza lahu al-arshu. That he said, O oh, Messenger of God, O oh, Muhammad who is this individual who has passed away? Due to his passing away, the gates of the heavens have been opened and the, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shaken for him. 
Right? Who is this remarkable individual? When the Prophet ﷺ heard this, قَامَ رَسُولَ إِلَىٰ سَعَدْ The Prophet ﷺ, without even hesitating for a second, he knew exactly who it must be. And the Prophet ﷺ jumped up and he ran from his home and he was still kind of wrapping his shawl around him as he was going and he immediately went to the masjid to go check on Sa'ad, Sa'ad bin Mu'ath. فَوَجَدَهُ قَدْ مَاتَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ And he found that Sa'ad had breathed his last and he had passed away. In another narration, the, the Prophet ﷺ, these are authentic narrations um, that are mentioned in the books of Bukhari and Muslim, that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, he says that, اِهْتَزَّ عَشُرْ رَحْمَانِ لِسَعَدْ بِنْ That the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it shook, it shook at the occasion of the passing of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. And these are narrations of both Bukhari and Muslim. In another uh, narration, the Prophet of Allah wasallam, he actually mentions a little bit more specifically, Abdullah bin Umar narrates this, that the arsh of Allah, the throne of God, shook out of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meeting Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. That even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was awaiting the arrival of the soul of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. And so the, the throne of Ar-Rahman shook at the occasion of the passing of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. Not only that, but it also mentions that finally, when his janazah was performed, when his funeral was performed, there's also some very fascinating and amazing narrations about this, that... قَالَ رَسُولُ That the Prophet ﷺ said at the occasion on which Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was being laid down in his grave, he was being buried at the time of his burial, the Prophet ﷺ said, سُبْحَانَ الْعَبْدِ That all praise and glory be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for creating such a remarkable and pious righteous slave. For whom even the arsh of Ar-Rahman shook. وَفُتِحَتْ لَهُ أَبْوَابُ السَّمَاءِ And the, uh, the doors, the gates of the heavens were open for him. In another narration, it mentions a little bit more specifically that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, when they were burying Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, so if you've ever participated in a burial, you understand that, you know, usually it takes a couple of people to get down into the grave and receive the body and lay it down in the grave. So, وَدَّخَلَ رَسُولُ the Prophet ﷺ himself personally got down into the grave of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh to bury him. What an honor for the Prophet ﷺ to bury you with his own hands. Fahtubisa. And then the Prophet ﷺ stopped there for a second. He paused for a second there in the grave. Falama when the Prophet ﷺ came out from the grave, Qilalahu, Mahabasaka ya Rasulullah. O Messenger of God, somebody asked him. Why did you stop and hesitate and stay in the grave for a few extra moments? He said, That the grave initially kind of closed in on Sa'ad. And I made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah opened the grave. And there's a whole collection of authentic narrations which mention this particular fact. In another narration, the one I was mentioning before, the Prophet ﷺ said, Shuddida alayhi. Initially, the grave started to close in, thumma farraj Allahu anhu. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened the grave. 
In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ, he specifically said, Subhan Rasulullah The Prophet said, Subhanallah. And all the Muslims that were present there, they also said, Subhanallah. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Allahu Akbar. Two times, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And everyone who was there said, Allahu Akbar, along with the Prophet ﷺ, or after him. Then they asked, Ya Rasulullah, Mimma Sabahta. Why did you say Subhanallah and Allahu Akbar? The Prophet ﷺ said, لَقَدْ تَضَايَقَ عَلَى هَذَا الْعَبْدِ الصَّالِحِ قَبْرُهُ That initially the grave started to close in. حَتَّى فَرَّجَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened and expanded the grave. There's another narration of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, an authentic narration in which the, uh, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that, إِنَّ لِلْقَبْرِ ضَمَّةً that the grave initially, whenever someone is laid down in their grave, initially the grave kind of closes in on that person. And so, and there are other narrations as well that establish this from the authentic books of hadith that this is something that occurs with each and every single person who is laid down in their grave, that initially the grave kind of closes in on them. And this is specifically done um, as kind of a, a reminder of the fact that this is the life of the hereafter. Just like the day of judgment, even for the most pious and righteous individual, the day of judgment will still have a certain gravity to it. And everyone will be very apprehensive and overwhelmed on that day because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being in His full glory and majesty. Right, So this is an initial kind of a wake-up call and, and something that occurs with each and every single person. When the angel of death comes and when the soul leaves the body, Sakaratul Maut, the Prophet ﷺ talked about this, that there's a little bit of discomfort everyone feels. And even the Prophet ﷺ felt it. But the mercy of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ was so remarkable that he asked Jibreel, he said, does everyone feel this? He says, yes, Ya Rasulullah, everyone will feel this. He said, let me take all of it so that nobody, none of my followers have to feel this. Right? <clears throat> when the angels come in the grave to ask the questions, there will be a little apprehensiveness initially that each and every single person will kind of feel at their initial arrival. Right? But then of course that will be removed for the pious and the righteous. So there's like an, init there's like an initiation into the life of the hereafter that everyone goes through. And so Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she says, إِنَّ لِلْقَبْرِ ضَمَّةً The grave initially kind of welcomes everyone. Initiates everyone by closing in initially. But then she said that if anybody would have been spared from that initial kind of closing in of, in of the grave, it would have been Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. The Prophet ﷺ in another narration also says the same thing that if anybody would have been spared, it would have been Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. The Prophet ﷺ. He mentions in another narration, لَقَدْ هَبَطَ يَوْمَ مَاتَ سَعْدُ بْنُ مُعَادْ سَبْعُونَ أَلْفَ مَلِكٍ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ لَمْ يَحْبِتُوا قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ That on the day that Sa'd bin Mu'ad passed away and left this world, 70,000 angels who had never come down to the earth before came down to attend the funeral of Sa'd bin Mu'ad. Right? So this is part of the honor of Sa'd bin Mu'ad. <clears throat> Along with that, it also mentions that one of the kind of, uh, I guess you can say, superstitions or one of the ideas in the times of ignorance before Islam in the times of Jahiliyyah was that the heavier and the weightier, 
the funeral would be, when they would carry the funeral, the heavier and the weightier that it would be, would be kind of considered a sign of the greatness of an individual. Right? That's how they use And it was a kind of like a superstition or an idea from the times of ignorance. There's no reality to that. So some of the munafiqun, some of the hypocrites, because we know that they had also conspired with the allied forces, they had conspired with Banu Quraida, so they were still very spiteful of the fact that the Battle of the Trench did not go as they had hoped in the obliteration of the Muslims in Medina, and the fact that Banu Quraida had been handled, right? They were still bitter about that, and they were still upset about that, and they were specifically very spiteful towards Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, <clears throat> for playing the role that he played and being so loyal and dedicated to Islam and the Prophet ﷺ. So when the janazah, when the funeral of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was lifted and it was being carried to the burial ground where he would be buried, لَمَّا حُمِلَتْ جَنَازَةُ سَعَدْ فَقَالَ الْمُنَافِقُونَ مَا أَخَفَّ جَنَازَتَهُ So the, some of the hypocrites calling back on that little superstition that they had from the times of ignorance, they said, look how light his funeral is. To try to say this man has no weight, no gravity. Right? It's like an indirect kind of veiled insult. And they're trying to insult him after his passing. So the Prophet ﷺ was asked, O Messenger of God, these people are saying things like this. The Prophet ﷺ said, لا ولكن الملائكة تحمله he said, no, no, don't pay any attention to these fools. If the janazah of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad did actually feel lighter than it physically should have, then it's because the angels were carrying the janazah of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. Right? So such amazing and remarkable uh, virtue was granted to Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. In another very fascinating set of narrations, Imam Bukhari brings this narration as well. So it's an authentic narration, Imam Ahmad, Imam Bukhari, and all the books of Sirah, they mention this as well. That this is prior, I should clarify, this is prior to the prohibition of wearing silk for men. Prior to silk being prohibited for men, a gift, uhdiyat li Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Somebody had brought a garment, kind of like a cloak, that was made of silk, that had silk trimmings. That cloak was brought to the Prophet ﷺ as a gift. It was gifted to him. And this is prior to the Prophet ﷺ, you know, giving it away to some, some of the women, right? Because silk is permissible for women, but not permissible for men, according to Islamic, uh, Islamic rulings in Islam. So this is prior to that. So this robe with some silk trimmings and silk, um, you know, uh, made from silk as well was gifted to the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ put it on and he came to the masjid. And after this prayer and the, the sermon and everything was done, some of the companions, they saw this beautiful, very, you know, uh, very nice, very beautiful robe, new robe that the Prophet ﷺ was wearing and it looked like it was very valuable. So, the, some, it says, فَجَعَلَ أَصْحَابُهُ يَمُسُّونَهَا وَيَعْجَبُونَ مِنْ لِينِهَا So after the prayer, some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ started to come up to him and started to touch the robe. Okay, started to kind of feel the robe like, wow, that's really nice. You know, the first thing before I even get to the objective of the narration, you know what this tells you? This shows you the type of relationship the Prophet had with the companions. Yes, the Prophet is the messenger of God. Sayyidul Awwalina wal Akhirin, Imamul Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen. 
the leader all of humanity and mankind, the leader, the forefront, the imam of all the prophets, right? The Habibu Rabbil Alameen, the beloved of God himself. And the Sahaba immensely respected him and, 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 and loved him, right? With great respect. They were so respectful and so obedient and, and devoted to the Prophet And the Prophet was the absolute best leader of all time. He was confident. He was very authoritative. He was very strong in his leadership. But one thing that we forget is a lot of times in emphasizing strength and conviction, right, in leadership and authority, we sometimes confuse that for a lack of, you know, being personable and being friendly and being loving and being familial with the people that you lead. We, we, we confuse that sometimes. We think those are exclusive, that if you're kind and you're forgiving and you're generous and you're friendly and you're loving like family, that somehow that's going to take away from your authority and your ability to lead. So you have to be distant and you have to be stern. Right? And you have to maintain a little bit of distance and separation. Mm, stay there. Right? When you walk, they should just move out of the way. They should look away, not make eye contact with you. These ridiculous notions. Right? The Sahaba say it was difficult for us to look into the eyes of the Prophet because of how breathtaking and just magnificent he was. But the Prophet had this extremely loving demeanor with them. Treated them like his family. He loved them like family. So the Sahaba, they see the Prophet wearing something really nice and they feel so comfortable. Because seeing him like a father figure, like an uncle figure, like an older brother figure, depending on who they were, seeing him like that, they felt so comfortable to come up to the Prophet ﷺ, very respectfully again, but at the same time come up to him and be like, MashaAllah, very nice. Let me see. Oh wow, that's really... So, فَجَعَلَ يَمُسُونَهَا وَيَعْجَبُونَ مِنْ لِينِهَا They were like, wow, it's so silky, it's so soft, nice. Right? So that shows you the, the, the interaction that he had with them. But anyways, the point of the story is that as they were marveling at how soft and, um, you know, how soft and intricate and luxurious the robe was, the Prophet said, أَتَعْجَبُونَ مِنْ لِينِ هَذِهِ Are you amazed by how luxurious and silky this is? He said, The Prophet said, The garments, forget about even the garments, just the handkerchief that Allah has granted to Sa'ad bin Mu'adh in paradise are even better than this. Right? So the Prophet talking about the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the virtues that Allah had granted Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. Not only that, but there's another incident and narration I'll share with you from the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was, you know, he, he started, he was like the personal assistant of the Prophet the khadim, the servant of the Prophet served him personally, right? For 10 years, he was 10 years old when the Prophet arrived in Medina and he served him for 10 years and he was 20 when the Prophet passed away. So he was still a very young man. Not only that, but Anas radiallahu anhu was blessed with a very long life. He lived till he was like 100 years old. So he lived for a long time after the Prophet And so Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the narration mentions that 
he was sitting one time. So somebody came to visit Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. Uh, excuse me, Anas bin Malik. Somebody came to visit Anas bin Malik towards the end of his life when he was a very elderly man. And he asked him, Anas asked this young man who came to visit him, Man anta? Who are you? Like introduce yourself. And he said, Ana Waqid ibn Amr ibn Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. I am Waqid, the son of Amr bin Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. Meaning Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was my grandfather. I am the son of the son of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was my grandfather. Waqid was his name. And it describes Waqid that he was very handsome and he was very kind of broad-shouldered, strong-looking and he was very tall. And he came to visit him and he says, Who are you? And he says, I'm the grandson of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh. My name is Waqid. And he says, Innaka bisa'adin lashabihun. You look just like your grandfather. You look just like your grandfather. Thumma baka wa aksar al-buka. And then Anas started to cry. And he kept on crying, kept on crying, kept on crying. Cried profusely, like he wept. And he said, Rahmatullahi ala Sa'd. May God have mercy on Sa'd. Kana min a'adam min nasi wa atwalihim. He was a big, strong, tall man. And, the, and then he mentioned the narration that somebody had brought a gift for the Prophet a robe that was made of silk, the same story. And the Prophet wore it the first time and he came to the masjid and he delivered a sermon and led the people in prayer. And afterwards, sahaba were coming and touching the garment and be, uh, admiring it. And he said, you admire this? Even the handkerchiefs that God has given Sa'ad bin Mu'ad in paradise are way better than this. So these are the, some of the virtues of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. Uh, Ibn Ishaq, he says that uh, an Ansari, he, had a, he said a poem about Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. He said, مَا إِهْتَزَ عَرْشُ اللَّهِ مِنْ مَوْتِ هَالِكٍ سَمِعْنَا بِهِ إِلَّا لِسَعَدٍ أَبِي عَمْرِ he says that never has the throne of God shaken for the death of anyone who has passed except that we have heard about except for Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. And the mother of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad, when he passed away, her name was Kubaysha bint Rafi'ah. She was from Khazraj. When his janazah was being carried to the graveyard to be buried, she mourned the loss of her son. And she said, وَيْلُ أُمِّ سَعْدٍ سَعْدًا Saramatan wahadda, wa su'dudan wa majda, wa farisan wa mu'idda, sudda bihi musadda, yaqudduha man qadda. That basically the summary or the gist of what she said, the, the couplet she spoke mourning the loss of her son, she said that how sad is the loss of Sa'ad for the mother of Sa'ad. That he has gone and he has passed. He was a leader. He was honorable, he was dignified, he was a warrior. And he was somebody always willing to help. She said that Allah utilized him to solve such a huge problem. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to serve as a leader in such a difficult situation. When the Prophet ﷺ heard the words of the mother of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, the Prophet ﷺ said, كُلُّ نَائِحَةٍ تَكْذِبُ إِلَّا نَائِحَةَ سَعَدِ بْنِ مُعَاذِ The overall kind of, they used to have this uh, tradition, if you will, prior to Islam, that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited, which was called Noha. 
right, which basically referred to, they would very excessively and dramatically kind of um, mourn the loss of somebody who had passed. It was almost like a performance, right? They would very dramatically perform at the passing of someone. And the Prophet ﷺ said, all these performances, they're false. Nobody, these, because they used to be hired. It was, like a, it was like a performance. You would hire entertainers to do this mourning. So he said, these people who do this dramatic mourning, they're liars. They sometimes don't even know the deceased, let alone feel anything for them. These are just empty performances. He said, except for the mother of Saad, because she feels the pain of her remarkable son. And so as I mentioned before, Saad bin Mu'adh, he passed away in the month of the Hijjah, towards the end of the fifth year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina. Now inshallah, um, it shouldn't take too long, but what I'd like for us to do is inshallah go through a passage of surah number 33, Suratul Surat Ahzab, from ayahs number 9 to ayah number 27. Ayahs 9 through 27 that speak about the entirety of this incident. So I'll go through it and briefly translate it. And inshallah, you'll be able to see everything that we learned about applying and exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about here. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayah number 9 of surah number 33, Surah Al-Ahzab, you who believe, remember God's goodness to you when mighty armies massed against you. We sent a violent, strong wind and invisible forces against them. God sees all that you do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever watchful over each and every single thing that you do. إِذْ جَاءُكُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِكُمْ وَمِنْ أَسْفَلَ مِنْكُمْ وَإِذْ زَاغَتِ الْأَبْصَارُ وَبَلَغَتِ الْقُلُوبُ الْحَنَاجِرَ وَتَذُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ الذُّنُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayah number 10, that they massed against you from above and below. Your eyes rolled up with fear. Your hearts rose into your throats out of apprehension and anxiety. And you thought that you were done for. You thought that you weren't sure if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would save you and protect you in this situation. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there the believers were seriously tested and deeply shaken to their core. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ يَقُولُ الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ مَا وَعَدَنَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا That the hypocrites and those who had, whose hearts were diseased, they said, God and His Messenger promised us nothing but delusions. They lied to us. And some of them said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ قَالَتْ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ يَا أَهْلَ يَثْرِبْ لَا مُقَامَ لَكُمْ فَرْجِعُوا وَيَسَّأْذِنُ فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمُ النَّبِيَّ يَقُولُونَ إِنَّ بُيُوتَنَا عَوْرَةٌ وَمَا هِيَ بِعَوْرَةٍ إِنْ يُرِيدُونَ إِلَّا فِرَارًا That a group amongst them they said, some of them said, O people of Yathrib, referring back to the old name of Medina, trying to create the idea that why don't we go back to the way things were? They said, you will not be able to withstand this attack. So go back home. 
Leave them. The Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims here at the trench and you go back home. Some of them asked the Prophet's permission to leave saying, Our homes are exposed. Even though Allah says their homes were not exposed, they just wanted to run away from the action, run away from the call of action. In ayah number 14, Allah said, Had the city been invaded, been run over, been sacked from all sides, and the enemy invited them to rebel against the Muslims, they would have done so immediately without a second's hesitation. They would have turned their backs on the Muslims and stabbed the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims in the back. وَلَقَدْ كَانُوا عَاهَدُ اللَّهَ مِنْ قَبْلُ لَا يُوَلُّونَ الْأَدْبَارَ وَكَانَ عَاهَدُ اللَّهِ مَسْؤُولًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, even though they had already promised Allah that they would not turn and flee, that they would not turn their backs on the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. And a promise to Allah, a promise that is made to Allah is something that a person will be held accountable for. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, قُلْ لَن يَنْفَعَكُمُ الْفِرَارُ إِنْ فَرَرْتُمْ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ أَوِ الْقَتْلِ وَإِذَا لَا تُمَتَّعُونَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That O Prophet, say to them that running away will not, uh, running away will not benefit you. And if you manage to escape death or, or being killed in battle, even at that moment, you will only be permitted, be allowed to enjoy yourselves in the life of this world for a very little, short, brief amount of time. You'll only enjoy very little. قُلْ مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَعْصِمُكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَ بِكُمْ سُوءًا أَوْ أَرَادَ بِكُمْ رَحْمَةً وَلَا يَجِدُونَ لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلِيًّا وَلَا نَصِيرًا And also say to them, O Messenger, that if God wishes to harm you, who can protect you? And if God wishes to show you mercy, then who can prevent him from bestowing his mercy upon you? They will find no one but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect them or to help them. قَدْ يَعْلَمُ اللَّهُ الْمُعَوِّقِينَ مِنْكُمْ وَالْقَائِلِينَ لِإِخْوَانِهِمْ هَلُمَّ إِلَيْنَا وَلَا يَأْتُونَ الْبَأْسَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly those amongst you who try to prevent and hinder others from going forward and serving the cause of the deen, the religion. Who secretly, quietly, conspiringly, they say to, the, to their brothers, their community members, come and join us, who hardly ever come out to fight. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَشِحَّةً عَلَيْكُمْ فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْخَوْفُ رَأَيْتَهُمْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْكَ تَدُرُوا أَعْيُنُهُمْ كَالَّذِي يُغْشَى عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ فَإِذَا ذَهَبَ الْخَوْفُ سَلَقُوكُمْ بِأَلْسِنَةٍ حِدَادٍ أَشِحَّةً عَلَى الْخَيْرِ أُولَئِكَ لَمْ يُؤْمِنُوا فَأَحْبَتَ اللَّهُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who begrudge you, those who begrudge you any help. Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that those who are not willing to come and assist you and help you in any way, shape or form, when fear comes, you, O Prophet of Allah, will see them looking at you with their eyes rolling about in their heads as if they are in the throes of death. They'll seem like they're losing their sanity, like they're losing their minds. The panic, the fear, the anxiety that, that grips them and overcomes them when difficult situations come. When fear has passed, when the difficulty is gone, when times are good, then what happens? They attack you with sharp tongues and still try not to help you in any way, shape or form. These people are people who do not believe. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obliterated, ruined, 
you know, laid waste to their deeds. Their deeds result in nothing. And this is something that they are very, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very swiftly and very easily deals with such people. وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرًا يَحْزَبُونَ الْأَحْزَابَ لَمْ يَذْهَبُوا وَإِنْ يَأْتِ الْأَحْزَابُ يَوَدُّوا لَوْ أَنَّهُمْ بَادُونَ فِي الْأَعْرَابِ يَسْأَلُونَ عَنْ أَنْبَائِكُمْ وَلَوْ كَانُوا فِيكُمْ مَا قَاتَلُوا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they think that the joint forces have not gone. They are so filled with their paranoia. Understand how detrimental paranoia is? They are filled with their own paranoia to the extent that even though the armies are gone, they are convinced that the armies are not gone. And if the joint forces did come again, they would wish that they weren't even there in Medina, that they were out somewhere in the middle of the desert living amongst the Bedouin tribes, wandering amongst the Bedouins, and from there trying to find out exactly what's going on with you from a safe distance. Even if they, and Allah says that even if they do end up staying in Medina, they would never ever lend you a hand in the fight to defend your deen, your religion, your life, your property, and, and your family. They would never help you in any way, shape, or form. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا that without a doubt, there's absolutely no shred of a doubt about the fact that there has always been, is, and will always be specifically reserved and designed for you, O Muslims. Completely contained within the Messenger of God, the ultimate, the most beautiful and most remarkable role model. It's one of the most fascinating ayat of the Qur'an. That really tells us and instructs us on how to live our lives. To use the Prophet ﷺ as a template and as an example and, and a role model to live our lives. And the eloquence in the ayah, I've tried to express it to some degree. And that's why the translation was so drawn out. Laqad, two degrees of emphasis. Kana lakum, there's always been and will always be. Lakum, specifically for you, for your benefit. Fi, fi means inside of something. Completely contained within the Prophet ﷺ, the ultimate role model. And Uswatun Hasana said in what we call Nakira, the common, the general, generic form. The reason is the ultimate role model, regardless of the situation you're facing. Be it work, be it family, worship, religion, dealing with friend, foe, family, enemy. Doesn't matter. You will always find the ultimate role model. Contained completely within the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But then Allah says, لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرِ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا And that is specifically for those who put their hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and look forward to the last day and they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly and frequently. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say, وَلَمَّا رَأَى الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الْأَحْزَابَ قَالُوا هَذَا مَا وَعَدَنَا اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَصَدَقَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَمَا زَادَكُمْ إِلَّا إِيمَانًا وَتَسْلِيمًا That when the believers, now let's look at the believers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about the hypocrites and how they act and how they behave. Then in the middle you have the Sent the, cent the center of that passage which talks about follow the example of Muhammad now it's going to tell us well those who do follow the example of Muhammad how do they respond and react Allah says when the believers they saw the joint forces the allied army they said this is what God and his messenger promised us all along the promise of God and his messenger is true 
And this only served to increase them in their faith, their belief, and their submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَاهَدُوا اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَنْتَضِرُوا وَمَا بَدَّلُوا تَبَدِيلًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there are men amongst, that there are individuals amongst the believer who honored the covenant with God. Their pledge that they had made to Allah. Some of them fulfilled it by giving their lives in the line of duty. And some of them are still awaiting their end. And they have not changed in the least bit. Meaning they have not moved. They have not been shaken from their resolve in the least bit. لِيَجْزِيَ اللَّهُ الصَّادِقِينَ بِصِدْقِهِمْ وَيُعَذِّبَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ إِن شَاءَ أَوْ يَتُوبَ عَلَيْهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that all of the events that have transpired, one profound reason why these events, these events have transpired, so that Allah may reward the dutiful, the faithful for their honesty and sincerity. And He will punish the hypocrites if He wills, or He may grant them repentance. He may grant them the ability to repent and come back to Allah and change their lives because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly forgiving and constantly merciful. We're near the end of the passage here. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repelled the disbelieving forces along with their rage and they gained absolutely no benefit. They were not able to achieve any of their objectives. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only that, but Allah spared the believers the situation of, being ha- of having to fight. Allah spared the believers the need to fight. There was no open battle. Right? Allah spared them from having to fight. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is strong, mighty, overwhelmed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is dominant. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says in ayah number um, 26, وَأَنزَلَ الَّذِينَ ظَاهَرُوهُمْ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ مِنْ صَيَاصِيهِمْ وَقَذَفَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمُ الرُّعْبَ فَرِيقًا تَقْتُلُونَ وَتَأْسِلُونَ فَرِيقًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He brought those people of the book who supported them down from their fortresses and their strongholds and put panic and fear into their hearts. Some of them basically were faced with death some of them were executed, and some of them were taken captive. And then find, this is referring to Banu Quraidah. Now you see the, the passage concluding. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayah number 27, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala passed on to you, He allowed you to inherit. He passed on to you, granted to you their land, their homes, their possessions, and a land where you had never set foot before. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, This is such a powerful statement that you find in the Qur'an, that if a believer really understands this, everything makes sense. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been, is, and will always be. Over each and every, Allah alone, excuse me, there's what we call taqdeem and ta'khir here, which creates a meaning of exclusivity. Allah has always been, is, and will always be, Allah alone, has always been, is and will always be over each and every single little thing fully in control and fully capable over each and every single thing. That's all you need to know. 
And that's the Allah you pay, place your faith and your belief and your trust in. That's the Allah that you strive to serve and live a life of obedience to in order to be able to earn His pleasure. And as far as the situations that come and go, the good times and the bads, the ups and the, the downs, that sometimes can cause us so much grief and worry. If you understand this statement, then you know it's in the hands of Allah. And Allah is capable of anything and everything. And know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of you at the end of the day. Everything will work out according to the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So inshallah we'll conclude with the study of this passage from Surah Al-Ahzab, Ayahs 9 through 27. A recommendation I always make aside from of course reviewing all of this knowledge and really learning the life of the Prophet but specifically when it comes to the Qur'an, the book of Allah, Surah 33, Ayahs 9 through 27. When you go home tonight, maybe tomorrow, um, at some point during your lunch break or after you get home from work, pick up the Qur'an, pick up a translation of the Qur'an, read these ayats again, read their translation again, recall reflect on the historical incidents that these ayat are speaking about and representing and allow that to come back to you. That is the practical exercise of what we call reflecting upon the Qur'an. And that's when the Qur'an begins to take on meaning. And once you've reflected upon it, internalized it, and it really means something to you, then put a little time and effort into memorizing these verses. And then when you stand in your prayer, read these particular ayats, because now you understand them, you spent some energy and time and effort reflecting upon them, and then see how it enriches the spiritual experience of your prayer. And it's a life-changing, perspective-altering experience. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the meaning and the reality of the book of Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to study and understand the life of the Prophet And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to model our lives and our character and our behavior and conduct based off of the book of Allah and the beautiful example set forth by the Prophet um, Real quickly, I just wanted to mention before the folks kind of leave, uh, the next uh, two weeks, inshallah, the next two sessions, Tuesdays, we won't be having the regular tafsir class we'll return back to the tafsir class inshallah and I think it's June the fi- uh, June. January the 5th which I think is a Tuesday so inshallah that first January uh, the first Tuesday in January I've, I'm basically done for the day so the word salad but um, the first Tuesday in January inshallah I think it's January the 5th we'll come back to the session we just won't be having the session the next two Tuesdays because starting this Friday we'll be having the Sira intensive that we do in the winter break every year in the Carrollton Masjid. Um, And I'm only mentioning this because of the locals as well. And inshallah, we'll make an effort to try to share it online as well. But in the evenings, um, we conduct a session at the Sira Intensive that is called Shama al Muhammadiyah. It is an intimate, personal description of the prophetic personality. Very personal, intimate descriptions, beautiful descriptions of the Prophet like a portrait in words. So we have those sessions after Aisha, every single day, starting Saturday, this coming Saturday, till um, January, uh, January the 1st, which will be a Friday, inshallah. Every single evening after Aisha prayer, we'll have that session. It's at the Carrollton Masjid, so it's not too far from here. So any of those days that you're able to stop by, please come by, inshallah, bring friends and family, and we'll sit and we'll discuss and we'll learn and try to really internalize how amazing the Prophet was in the way he lived his life. And inshallah, be able to try to learn from that and model ourselves after it. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik. نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك